Hi, everyone, and welcome to the PBN Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about our sponsor, Newzest. We're going to try things a little bit differently this week, and we've got a special guest in the podcast studio, founder and co-director of Plum-Based News, Mr. Klaus Mitchell. How's it going, Klaus? Really good, Robbie. Great to be here. So what a lot of people don't realize is that many of the products and services that we promote on Plum-Based News are things that we actually use ourselves. This week's podcast is kindly supported by our friends over at Newzest, and I know that you've been using it for a while. I've been using it, but what do you think of it, Klaus? I think it's great. I think I started using it when I saw it in Whole Foods. I bought a tub and then I put it in with, uh, it was a strawberry flavor I put in with my berry smoothie. Um, and that was over six months ago. And uh, now I've got to know the team at Newzest, Jonathan and the crew. Great mission, great company, tastes great, and I'd highly recommend it. So this product is made from golden peas grown in the south of France, an incredibly environmentally friendly crop. It is also sold in 100% recycled plastic tubs as well, so you can recycle the whole thing. Please check out newsest.us forward slash PBN20 to get 20% off your first order. And as always, if you like this podcast, please don't forget to comment, like, and share. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Hope you enjoy the show. This first one, boss, that was written to dispel the myth that vegan food was boring and didn't taste good. I guess we kind of followed on with on that same trend with Bish Bash Bosch, but we delved a little bit more into vegan meats. But then people were always telling us about how unhealthy vegan food was. So that's why we made the Bosch Healthy Vegan book. We wanted to dispel that myth. People then always said that it was really slow. So that's why we wrote Speedy Bosch. And the new one, which we're super excited about, people are always saying vegan food is so expensive. And it isn't, it doesn't have to be. Hi, plant friends, and welcome to another episode of the PBN Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. Joining us on the podcast today are Henry Frith and Ian Thiesby. They're the co-founders of Bosch, the vegan platform that has changed how people think about vegan food, showing the world how easy plant-based cooking can be. From two mates from Sheffield to a global sensation dubbed the Bosch Boys or the Vegan Anton Deck, the duo is as close to vegan superstars as you can get. Since launching their first video in June 2016, which received 3.5 million views in the first week alone, they have taken the plant-based world by storm, with delicious and easy-to-follow recipe videos and cookbooks. In 2018, their chart-topping signature cookbook, Bosch, became the first vegan cookbook to rise to number one in the Sunday Times bestseller chart. And since then, they have published several cookbooks that further aim to demystify plant-based eating, share inventive recipes, and show how easy and delicious it can be to eat plants. Ian credits a New Year's resolution for the life-changing decision to go vegetarian, and then vegan. Henry's journey similarly transformed him overnight from an avid meat eater to a vegan with a personal mission of demonstrating the life-changing effects of plant-based eating and its global impact on reducing climate change. Henry and Ian are home-taught cooks and have always been big foodies, but what really sets them apart is their personal approach and their great passion for making a meaningful difference. Today, the Bosch platform keeps on growing and reaching millions of people online each month, from launching an online sensation reaching more than half a billion in their first year to becoming the most viewed and most loved plant-based recipe channel, Bosch is a platform for social good that stands for making a difference in the world through a plant-based revolution, one delicious meal at a time. I'm super excited to welcome Henry and Ian today on the podcast and learn more about the spectacular journey that is Bosch. Let's get to the episode. Hey, fellas, thanks so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. What a pleasure to finally sit down with you both or stand. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us, Robbie. Very excited you could join us and in the Bosch kitchen as well. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, but we are very pleased to be your guests today. 
when did you guys turn vegan? So um, Ian was on a, a proper health kick in New Year yeah. about three years ago. And he gave up alcohol, then he gave up meat, and then he went vegan. Yeah. And I thought it was ridiculous, if I'm honest. Like, I was eating all the so meat. you mocked him. Yeah. I mocked yeah. it, I mean, mock I was like, yeah. what are you doing, dude? But then actually, you know what? I tried it, and I felt fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Does it have that kind of definite impact that you can feel on your body? Yeah, almost immediate. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, we both lost a load of weight. We both were going to eat, uh, bed easier right. and sort of like sleeping sounder and it was really, really good. And also, the food is super, super tasty when you know what to do. And I suppose this is a probably good That's segue into this. In. Yeah. What are you doing? Right, so basically what we're knocking up here for you guys is the ultimate chilli from our book. And the first thing you do with the ultimate chilli is you get a whole bunch of regular mushrooms from the supermarket. I know you don't like it, but we're going to oh change dear. your mind today. He's like, like a vampire really? with garlic. Yeah. Imagine no, it's no. meat. Imagine it's meat. My sister, my sister doesn't <laughs> like him, but she's eating this and she loved it too. All right. Before we get started to learn and hear all the amazing things you've been doing in recent years, let's go back in time and hear your vegan and plant-based journey. How did it all begin for you and what was the sort of catalyst? And we'll start with you, Ian. Start with me, right. Um, okay, so it was the back end of 2014 and I decided that I needed to um, give myself a bit of a challenge. I thought I'd trial vegetarianism for three months to see if I can do it. Um, that was at the beginning of 2015. And after the first month of 2015, I found it quite difficult. So I started doing some reading about vegetarianism as a lifestyle choice. And um, the more you read, the more you learn. And I learned about the effect of animal agriculture on the environment and also on personal health and also um, what animals go through as well. So midway into my little challenge, I thought I'm going to up the ante a little bit and trial veganism. And yeah, it's kind of stuck. <laughs> Amazing. And yourself, Henry? So around that time when Ian was uh, cooking these vegan curries and experimenting, I was on a you know high meat diet eating um I had a freezer full of high welfare meat that a friend had driven onto a farm and purchased. So I wasn't very impressed with Ian's brown curries. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was cooking up going, yo, check this out. It's totally vegan. He was like all excited that it was vegan and I was just not. So I was, you know, that, that, that typical, that typical person who protests too much and then swings around the other way. And I swung around the other way hard. Mm -hmm. So I was a big environmentalist, loved Elon Musk, uh, one of your countrymen. And, um, and you know, I, I really believe the government wasn't doing enough to stop climate change. I was really frustrated at how stupid our species was behaving. Then we watched Cowspiracy together. I made the mental link between diet and climate, and I went vegan overnight. I said, yeah, you're right, I'm gonna give this vegan thing a whirl. I found it effortless, found it super easy. In fact, I felt amazing in my body, and I've stuck with it ever since. That was about six years ago mm -hmm. to this day. Amazing, roughly around the same time as myself. So obviously you two work together, um, you've known each other for a long time, but where did you meet and how did uh, your friendship begin? Oh, so um, yeah, as you say, um, Henry and I are old school friends. Uh, we met when we were 11 years old and we went to a school called High Stores School in Sheffield. Um, yeah, we were, we were mates at school, but we weren't like best friends. Our kind of lives took different career paths, but um, around about eight or nine years ago, uh, life brought us back together and we ended up living and working together on a, uh, another business before Bosch. That's right. Yeah, we were we were <laughs> already like living in each other's pockets and working in each other's pockets and sharing food. So, you know, we'd already developed a kind of weird 
co-working, co-living relationship. Therefore, when when we both went vegan, we both went off, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And we, Ian was working on the idea for a vegan cafe in Sheffield, and I was working on the idea for a vegan ready meal delivery company in London. And then I kind of realised it would be easier to do that if we built a social audience first. And also we realized there was just not enough vegan recipes online. Mm-hmm. We'd seen BuzzFeed's Tasty. We'd seen all of these different channels showing how to make meat foods in a re- really social media engaging way. And we just thought, you know what? We could be the, the vegan version of Tasty. We can show people how to cook vegan food that is plant-based, delicious. And so we came together. We both gave up our separate ideas. We came together to build Bosch. Amazing. I, I remember the weekend that you did your shoot with all these, you were like in this tiny room <laughs> packed all weekend doing loads of videos because you uh, asked me to come help you. I don't know if you remember. Did we? I yeah, do not you, remember that. That's yeah, hilarious. you asked me to come help you and get involved. <laughs> and I think, imagine how different it, things would be if I had joined Bosch and not done VBA. the three of us, we'd be like a boy band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we would have got class in as well, and then yeah. there'd be all four of us. Plant-based yeah. Bosch news. And isn't it interesting, sort of a real sliding doors moment, because, you know, vegan cooking online or sort of vegan recipes online was still very would say sort of immature at the time there wasn't a lot of kind of platforms doing that as you said there's um tasty from buzzfeed and those kind of top-down recipes but there wasn't it wasn't sort of as prolific as it is now hey guys so we're here with gary barlow and today we're going to be cooking a ratatouille roulade amazing i don't think i've ever had a ratatouille roulade i mean it's basically a ratatouille but what we've got is we're taking the aubergine and courgette and just making a nice little rose out of it it's going to look really posh but it's really quick 15 20 minutes and we'll be done okay and it's a dinner it's a dinner that you're then going to take into lunch. So first things first, we're going to get this pan on really hot. This is a griddle pan. We want to get those char lines on this. We're going to be taking these lovely bits of aubergine and courgette over there. Now you sort of want to leave them in place, don't you? Once yeah, you, exactly. You, put them you down. don't want to move them around. 90 seconds yep. to three minutes, depending on how thick you've cut your aubergine. Yeah, give it a flip, starting with that bad boy. So there's basically there's nothing in the pan, but you've already oiled these, so... Exactly. And because we've got it really hot, we're pretty much done. Look at that. Look that at is that. perfection. Take them off. Yeah, let's get those off. We're going to split the aubergines down the half. So all the aubergines are going to be... Exactly. They're going to be halved. Okay. If you take one of these slices of aubergine yeah. and just roll it up into a tiny little spiral, and then before it's closed, we'll pop it in one of these and do the same thing. We basically so roll just... it inside it. Exactly. There we go. And let's quickly spear that. That's going to sit in the middle of our tomato sauce. One of the things that kind of, you know, I'm really interested in is the stigma of not eating meat and being a man. There is this sort of like culture and it is changing, but it is still very prominent where men are afraid to cut animal products out of their diets. And of course, more men are in the kitchen now, more men are cooking, you know, with the likes of Jamie Oliver making it more, what's the word, acceptable for men to be seen to be cooks and chefs. How do you, how have you seen things change since you guys started your work with regards kind of the attitudes, attitudes of men in your peer, in your age group around eating meat? It's night and day different now mm-hmm. um, when it comes to being a man that's eating plant-based. Yeah. Uh, an interesting example would be a good friend of mine, Joel, who was over last weekend and we were having dinner together. You know, and he's um, a forward-thinking entrepreneurial type. And he's now mostly plant-based, mm-hmm. as he says it. And if you're a forward-thinking, intelligent, educated, entrepreneurial type, chances are you'll see that as a positive way to describe yourself now. Yeah. Whereas five years ago, 
it would have been quite a weird thing to say that you were. So I think that I think people who read information that's current, who watch <laughs> watch videos on Netflix and are basically up with current affairs, have got a much more positive aspect towards people eating vegan food, being a bit more vegan, trying out vegan in January. And five years ago, it was completely different. You were ostracized. You were seen as weak. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, definitely. I completely agree with Henry. Five years ago, or six years ago now, when we first went vegan, you'd walk into a restaurant and say, oh, can I have a look at the vegan menu or do you have any vegan options? And the, uh, the waiter would look at you gone out and all your mates would be like, why are you asking that for? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, now it's so much easier. Uh, I think there's been a lot of fantastic work done by people in the space, such as Derek Sarno or, or Alexis Gautier, who have kind of just sort of led the charge with vegan food being provided to the mainstream. And supermarkets are making it way easier as well because there's you don't feel like an outsider because you walk into a supermarket and the shelves are just packed full of wonderful vegan choice. So, yeah, it's, it is remarkable the, 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 the shift in attitude. Um, to vegan food in general, not just for men, but for everybody. Hey guys, I'm Henry. I'm Ian. And we are Bosch. Welcome to this video and our Veganuary meal plan. Listen, if you're trying Veganuary for the first time, we absolutely want to help you out. We felt amazing when we tried a plant-based diet for the first time, and we wanted to share that with the world. So we formulated four weeks of recipes to help you get through your Veganuary. Now, we're going to help you eat delicious, nutritious, and colorful food for the whole four weeks. The recipes are all gonna be really simple and seasonal, and if you do the prep we tell you on the weekend, they'll take less than 30 minutes. Which is no time at all, really. It's easy, yeah. Our plan is a system with a meal plan, a shopping list, a prep list for cooking ahead on a Sunday, and then enough recipes to get you through the entire week. Here's how it works. First of all, watch this video, where we're gonna explain the week's menu, the shopping list, and tell you what you can prep ahead on Sunday. Then it's time to get your ingredients. Then you're gonna cook the food, obviously, following the recipe videos, which we're gonna post. So for each recipe, there will be a video. I guess it's worth saying that there are still the pockets where you can find the old school attitude towards vegans, vegan eating, vegan meals, um, more so in the countryside, so, you know, you can certainly find once you head out of London or out of a major city, that attitudes will kind of go back a little bit towards being against vegans and vegan eating. But it's interesting because you still have this spectrum. I feel like it's a journey that people go on from not even being aware that vegan is such a thing mm. to then thinking, uh, to being really angry at people eating vegan food and thinking it is like absolute heresy to then taking the mick out of <laughs> vegan eating, to then telling you why it doesn't work, to then being interested to give it a go, to then being actively, repeatedly giving it a go. And, and people seem to go on that journey. And we've seen it with our family friends. We've seen it with uh, people that we chat to on television shows mm -hmm. or journalists that we talk to and amongst our own friendship group as well. I suppose uh, just male, like in inverted commas, male culture over the last five years has completely changed, not just in the way that we eat, but in the way that we sort of, the attitudes to the things that are now okay for men to sort of get involved with, be it um, looking after themselves, like with their skincare routines or the clothes that they wear, or the fact that like they might want to go and try out some hot yoga or like do some meditation. Um, all of these things is like, it's just so much better now. Yeah, the conversation has been expanded and, you know, particularly the areas around mental health and the pressures that men 
experience. You know, the single biggest killer of men in the Western world today is actually suicide. That between 25 and 55, it's the leading killer of men. It's uh, it's kind of one of those things where people ask. You know, I've I've been involved in in mental health advocacy for a few years, and people have often asked me, like, what do you think it is that affects men in that age? Is it income? Is it you know societal pressures? But as you know, as young men and who you know who've worked in a variety of places and had obviously a variety of pressures, I mean, have either of you experienced sort of mental health challenges? And if you have, how have you dealt with them? I think that um, running a business is stressful, and I, and I know from from personal experience that I've been in the kind of founder depression state in the past when nothing's going right. <laughs> it feels like the business is crumbling all around you. And it probably is. So I'm not talking about this business. I'm talking about the previous one. And I certainly um, had feelings of despair, waking up in the morning, not feeling motivated enough to get out of bed, waking up in the night, having nightmares about work, and then waking up and realizing it was actually a real nightmare. So I've certainly been there. I think that we need to pay more attention in society to mental health issues and and realize and give people support, um, whether it's support with sleeping, support with uh, how to deal with that kind of to- toxic masculinity, bravado, nonsense, and how to get past that. Um, it's great that the world is thinking about that more, but we still need more focus on it. I think we've, we've both developed a kind of routine based around exercise and bits of meditation Mm -hmm. that are helping us through the current phase of our business Um, and and it's great to see that plant-based food is going well as well because things are always easier when (laughs) when things go well with business but it's always just around the corner so you know nobody's safe yeah I think like one of the best sort of tonics for depression for male or female is a sense of purpose and busyness I think uh, you can definitely fall into the depths of depression if you feel worthless. And um, I think that having a job that you really care about and having um, a career that you're sort of passionate about, like it goes a long way to uh, to helping with, with any mental anguish that you may or may not have. And I guess there's other ways of going about that, even if it isn't a job, you know, so like volunteering um, for a cause that you believe in, even, even if you're just giving your time, that's a, a way to get up, get out and go do something. But it's not to belittle the struggles that people with depression, anxiety go through because they're very real, they're chemical. And as a society, we need to really think about them more. Absolutely. Ian, I heard you you run a lot. Uh, is that something you you speak of a tonic? Is that How does that function for you when it comes to your mental health? Yeah, I, I def- definitely enjoy running. And uh, I think that just any kind of physical exertion is the, a really fantastic way to take your mind off your mind and just to sort of <laughs> focus your mind on your body and to get your sort of blood pumping and to get those endorphins rushing yeah there's a there's an immense uh, sense of satisfaction when you set yourself kind of um physical goals like i'm going to get off the couch i'm going to run 5k or i'm going to get it up to half a marathon or i'm going to go to the gym for a certain amount of time in a row it, it gives you a real sense of achievement and um yeah it definitely helps with your just m- mental attitude so we just did a session called Unfuckwithable, where we learned to be unfuckwithable, whatever that means. What does that mean, MJ? You do lots of journaling and you also sit around in a circle and talk about your doubts about yourself. And then you talk about your beliefs and changing your mindset and the way you think about things. Not care what anyone thinks about you. That's the session we just did. It was amazing. And now it's pizza time. Vegan pizza, 
with jalapenos, mushrooms, some violi, and I also put some chili flakes on there as well. Mmm, mm, it's good. Spicy. Wow. So at the fish. It's really spicy. Oh my god, it's so spicy. I put extra chili on it. Oh, I like the heat, you see, but it's just when you're trying to talk on camera, it's not that easy. At the fitness festival so far, we've had like a kind of meditation session and eaten pizza. It's my kind of fitness festival. So taking things back to Bosch for a bit, through this journey, where was there or was there a point or was it gradual where you suddenly realized, holy shit, this is working. We're going somewhere with this. Did you have a kind of aha moment? We always felt like it would work. We had done, a, we spent about a year working on it before we even picked up a camera and filmed any food. And we had backgrounds in video, digital marketing, and we had a real passion for food and vegan food. So we were like, maybe we had a kind of false sense of confidence, but we always thought that it was going to work. I think the moment when we realized, okay, yes, we're onto something here would have been First of all, when we got a million views on our first video, the watermelon Jaeger bomb, which was <laughs> essentially <laughs> scooping out a giant iconic. watermelon. Yes, exactly. Iconic. Scooping out a giant watermelon and making a kind of big Jaeger bomb punch out of it. Made an amazing video, got 50 million views. That was definitely one of those moments. And then I think getting the first cookbook deal uh, with HarperCollins, that was a moment we actually you know, could afford to have somewhere to operate out of and for me to go full-time on Bosch because mm -hmm. at the beginning Ian was full-time and I was working evening uh, working on Bosch evenings and weekends and doing other stuff in the day so that was a moment when it it fully became something of a business but that said we've been bootstrapping for the last five years you know we have a lean team we have lean costs and um, we still keep things tight mm. as a company now, obviously, uh, being a content platform, it's all about production and making things and creating. How do you keep up what feels like relentless momentum? There's always fresh stuff happening all the time. How do you, with such a small team, how do you keep it up? Cool. How do we keep it up? Well, I think that at our core, um, we are a purpose-driven business. And our purpose and our mission is to put more plants on more plates. So um, I think it always comes back to that. Sometimes it, the pressure of constantly putting out recipes, constantly making videos can get a little bit stressful, but you have to take a step back and realize why are we doing this? What would we be doing if we weren't doing this? And once you ask those two questions, it, you, you, you find that drive that you need again to, to just carry on making the videos. It's, it's a real honor and a real pleasure what we do. So we really, if we ever get into a rut, we can get ourselves out pretty quickly. Now we've got our portobello mushrooms, which are going to be right in the middle of the um, mushroom wellington. We're going to use this pastry here, which is the short crust pastry, obviously vegan, really, really cool. And then you've got your, you know, your chestnuts and your pecans and all of that wonderful stuff to make the filling delicious. Mm. So, of course, if you're not doing the mushroom wellington, you might do an alternative. Mm. So I think I might do the beef wellington this year, the vegan beef wellington, where we're using essentially like Beyond Burgers mm -hmm. or the Noble Burgers, which are really amazing burgers and you make them into a wellington. And if you wanted to go for gluten-free vegan, which a lot of people might, you might use this, which is the jackfruit, and you can just roast this off and it like it's quite 
Well, it's very, very delicious. Absolutely, our recipe for the jackfruit one tray Christmas dinner. That's amazing. So once you've made your Wellington and that's just popped to one side, then you have to concentrate on your potatoes. Roast potatoes are delicious with a little bit of olive oil, some salt, pepper, some nice thyme or some rosemary or something like that, amazing. And then once you've got those sort of sorted out, you've got to think about your carrots and your parsnips. We've gone for heritage carrots because they're a little bit posher, a little bit more colorful, and you flavor them with these clementines. Oh, delicious. Lovely. Now, any Christmas dinner, needs a good gravy, doesn't it? Oh man, it's all about the sauce. We're gonna make a really good one with nice herbs. You're gonna have like a really nice base there with this leek and this celery, and then we're using vegan stock cubes that are really, really good. And then loads of garlic, because why not? Oh man, you gotta get that garlic in there. And I did, we didn't have any um, sprouts on the table, but you know what? Maybe some sprouts as well. You've gotta get Brussels sprouts in there. Yeah, it's true. Where we are they? Yeah, we should've popped them on. Have to pop down to the shop. So, um, you obviously are a a pair, a couple, you go together. Um, I was going to say, do people ever think you're a couple? But I think you've told me that in the past, people have. All the time, Robbie. All so the time. if you go to Google and you type in R Bosch, then you'll see Google autocomplete will suggest things like yeah. a couple, in love, <laughs> yeah. brothers, yeah. single, or yeah. all those things will pop up, which is funny. You probably have the same if you search for, is Robbie Lockie? Yeah, I mean, Klaus. People often have thought if, we're, if Klaus and I were some sort of gay power, gay vegan power couple. Oh, um, nice! A lot of our friends thought we were, which was quite funny. He he always thinks it's hilarious. But the question really was more like, how do you work together as well? Because obviously, you know, a partnership, a friendship, you know, working with other people isn't always easy. We're we're all different people. We all have our own personalities and our idiosyncrasies. You know, for other people out there who are in partnerships or running businesses and who do struggle, like what are some of the ways in which you guys, you know, work together and make sure that, you know, you avoid conflict or if there is conflict, you work through it. Like what are some of your tips for that? I think that it is easier to build a business with someone than on your own. And I say that having done it on my own the first time. We worked together in the last business, but it, you know, it was very much a company that I founded and I remained sole founder and it was hard and it was lonely and, and you know, it was difficult. Mm -hmm. Although I was constantly moaning to you, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah. Getting counsel for me in and stuff. <laughs> so I think if you can find a co-founder to work with, find a team to build, maybe three founders to build something together, you are in a lot less of a lonely place, but also you can borrow energy and enthusiasm from each other. And if one person come up with some ideas, another person can come up with other ideas. So I certainly advocate for anyone who is building a business and currently is sat there on their own, try and find someone else to come on board with you. Doesn't mean that there aren't difficulties. You know, we have the occasional spat. COVID and living together was quite a melting pot moment. And there was one particular moment when, uh, you know, we had a bit of a fallout, but it wasn't big and we've worked together for so long, we've learned to kind of evolve past those moments and um, to kind of uh, carry on our working relationship. Communication and honesty and listening are all definitely necessary for any kind of relationship, be it um, husband and wife or co-founders or whatever you may be. Like, it's just, if you've got something on your chest, get it off and be respectful of the answer and try and work around any problems that you might face together. How do you find it, Robbie? Because you work in a duo as well. The same, the same as you. You know, we obviously both are mission aligned and mission led, and our work is all about like trying to educate and transform people's lives and attitudes towards plant based food. And you know, the same. We all have our challenges, we have our spats, but you know, we do have a mutual respect for each other. And I think that's one thing that has lasted our relationship, our friendship over five years, 
is that, you know, we do respect each other. We might not always agree, but, you know, we respect each other's opinions and views and we've learned to listen more. And I think, as you said, Ian, like communication is such a vital thing. If you have a problem or there's something that you're unsure about, like speaking your mind as quickly as possible and not sitting on it, I think is the best thing because obviously if you leave things to fester, then you build up resentment and it really just, you know, the foundation of your relationship just ends up breaking down, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So my next question is just regarding like the business side of things. Obviously, a platform such as yours requires money to run. Um, what are some of the ways in which you've managed to sort of keep it running and keep it going? There's lots of different revenue streams. You know, you've obviously got lots, you're both entre- very entrepreneurial. How do you decide where to put your energy when it comes to sort of keeping the, the finances coming into the business? <laughs> Great question. We as a north star always come back to any decision will it help us put more plants on more plates so anytime we're thinking about should we embark on this journey or this journey we'll ask ourselves if it's helping our core mission so that's the kind of starting point and i think that's helped us to avoid some pitfalls Mm -hmm. along the way as far as the business is concerned, really, I mean, people buy our books and we have an amazing relationship with our publisher. We're getting to the point now where we've almost sold a million books. So that's helped to fund the business and keep our small team operating and making videos. And if you think about it, we've got this nice model where we make videos and we put them out for free, but then some people buy the books and they pay for more videos that we put out for free. So it's almost like a, a freemium model. Mm-hmm. Um, we do work with some choice brands um, that we really believe in to help them get their food out to our audience. So, you know, from time to time, we may cook with somebody's ingredients and that will help to bring in some funds as well. But we're really respectful of the power of that. So we don't just every week have a different supermarket or brand that we're promoting or do back-to-back giveaways. We try and make it really mean something. We try and work with brands on a more long-term basis if we can. Um, And then more recently, we, because people kept asking us for our food and they wanted our food to be available, we, we worked hard to get it available. So you can now buy Bosch products in supermarkets. It's in, you can buy Bosch food in every major supermarket, whether it's cakes, we've got brioche buns, we've got Nooch, which is one of our top sellers. And we've just launched Bosch Ready Meals in Morrison's. So they are essentially four pounds, sometimes reduced to three pounds, a meal, one portion of a famous Bosch dish, exactly as we would cook it ourselves. No additives, no nasties. Like if we, if you bought our chili, it would be the same as if you cooked our chili at home, pretty much, which is absolutely amazing and super affordable. So that has been a new revenue stream, a new way for us to get food to people that we're super excited about. Hello everybody and welcome to Bosch.tv. Today we are in Wrexham and we are doing something extremely exciting. In fact, let me be honest with you, I think it might be the single most exciting thing that we have done since releasing our first ever cookbook four years ago. This factory is a special factory because they are producing Bosch meals. For the first time in the history of Bosch, you're going to be able to eat Bosch meals and you won't even have to do the cooking because at this factory, Oscar Mayer, they are creating Bosch meals that you could buy in the supermarket. Ready meals get quite a bad rep, but these don't have a bad rep at all. And the reason why is because it's purely proper, real food. It's healthy. It's two or three of your five a day. It's going to be amazing. I cannot wait. We have the smoking spag 
ball. What a delicious dish. This is exactly the same as the one from our Speedy Bosch cookbook. The Mac and Greens return of the Mac. Love that. The Jalfrezi and rice, an incredibly spicy curry, just the same as in our Bish Bash Bosch cookbook. The ultimate chili, one of the nation's favorite Bosch dishes, an incredible chili with mushrooms and rich umami flavors. The smashing shepherd's pie, this bad boy is absolutely gorgeous. It's rich, it's smoky, it's luscious. You're gonna love this. And finally, of course, we made a lasagna. So you can have a Bosch lasagna on your table with no effort whatsoever. Those dishes and all those different products sound very cool. Like how, what was the process of kind of getting involved in those? Did you have to like go into a factory and oversee the process? Like what does it take to actually get a product from your kitchen into mass production or FMCG as it's called? We have met lots of people who have built factories and are making food themselves. We're buddies with the guys at the Happy Pear, we're buddies with JP at All Plants and both of them are manufacturing their own food. And honestly, Robbie, when we saw their operations, we were like, this is hard. <laughs> you know, we don't know how to set up a factory. <laughs> we don't know how to, um, to do all that stuff, but we do know how to make delicious recipes. So we took the choice to find manufacturing companies. Essentially, we call them licensees because they are essentially producing food under the Bosch name and with us. So we find an amazing company that wants to work with us on creating cool recipes. We'll take our Bosch recipes and we will oversee every aspect of the food development, but they will make the food on our behalf and ship it into supermarkets. Mm, amazing. And what are some of your kind of favorites out of all the things that you do? Because there's quite a few products now. Yeah, as Henry said, the nooch is extremely popular. Um, both of, we've got quite a few cakes, a few baked goods. So the uh, lemon drizzle cake. Oh, that's so delicious. It's really good, that one. The ultimate chocolate cake is also good. Then we've you know, got I still haven't tried them, Ian. I still haven't tried what? the cake. When's your birthday? <laughs> yesterday. No, day before yesterday. <laughs> Oh man, well, we'll have to get you a belated birthday present and sling them over. Right, the minute we're done with this, I'm yeah. going to go on the supermarket website and order some. I just to go couldn't to find house. them. Like, they're never, they're never in, they've never been in my, in the supermarkets near me here in South London. But, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll look up for, for a tasty sample. <laughs> oh, there's some goodies. Um, another product that we've been really proud about um, and has done really, really well. And it's, it's, it's really shown vegan food to a huge, huge market is the ultimate chocolate slice that we did with Costa. Um, so that was only supposed to be a month's partnership, but in actual fact, a year later, it's still on the Costa shelf. So that's been awesome. But I think uh, one of the things that the ready meals are just absolutely wonderful. Genuinely, the, the, the chili is as good as if we had made it in your own home. And for a microwave meal to taste that good, and to also not be made with any nasties, all natural ingredients, all cooked, by people that we've met in the factory in Wrexham. Yeah, that, that is a truly wonderful product. Going back again to sort of the, the, the foundations of Bosch, when you first began, it was mostly what well, was all kind of top-down recipe shots of your hands with a coordinated food sort of, you know, choreography, as you could call yes. it, coming and going. Um, I came in once, I think, and did a recipe with you guys. It was castle uh, back potatoes, I believe. Yeah, um, you did. That was fun. So I got to see a bit of the magic. But um, after a while, something switched where you guys started to appear more on camera. Was that like, you know, did, was, did somebody advise you to do that? Or did you feel like you just wanted to be seen a bit more? And, and obviously that process is a journey. You can't just sort of get in front of the camera and 
and it feel natural because it isn't natural for most people. It can be very awkward. You don't know where to put yourself. You don't know how to be. Did you have training? Like talk us through that journey of going from being just recipe image uh, videos to then being kind of, you know, uh, an identity as, as such. Well, I think neither of us, when we first started out, um, had any desire whatsoever to, to be uh, the faces of this company. We just wanted to show people that plant-based food could be absolutely delicious. Um, but when we hit a million fans on Facebook, a lot of people had been asking us in the comment sections, oh, um, who are you guys? Like, were you just a pair of hands and you're just cooking this food and we don't know who you are? So when we hit a million fans, we sort of introduced ourselves with a, a simple photograph of us two. And um, that was that, that, that was a nice moment because people were like, oh, hey, how you doing? It's nice to see uh, like a face to the hands sort of thing. <laughs> and also, we kind of at that point thought we developed a confidence in the food that we were cooking. We had also like affirmed exactly our mission and, and how we wanted to sort of develop the business going forward. So we decided that maybe it would be quite good to start doing a little bit of presentation to see if it caught. And the presentation videos that we did seemed to get really popular. So we decided that, yeah, we'll carry on doing that. Did you do any training or presenting training or? Hmm. Bits. <laughs> I think the best training for presenting is just doing it again and again and again. So if you want a laugh, go back on YouTube and uh, look at some of our first videos yeah. that we probably should delete. Yeah. We've done bits of training. So we had a bit of training with uh, a PR company that we worked with. We did some bits of training when we had our first TV show. So we had someone come and spend an afternoon with us working on our presenting style. There's been a couple of other moments along the way, but we've also, Robbie, done loads of television. So live TV is better training than anything else because you cannot mess up. <laughs> it's live. How but do you feel you... the nerves, though? Because obviously yeah. a lot of people who do want to do not just live TV, but more Instagram live and interact with their audience more. Like, Did you feel nerves? or And, and if you did, like, how, how do you deal with them? Practice is the best tip. Not just live practice, but actually pre-practice so the first time we cooked on this morning we must have practiced they call it blocking which comes from blocking in the theater where you would actually be kind of moving people around the stage as you would as if it was live but we would do that in the kitchen so we'd be pretending to cook and pretending to chat mm -hmm. so be like yo ian uh <laughs> what are we making today oh well we're making the ultimate chili and it's the best dish ever First off, I'm going to start with the onions. So I've got a red onion. This is how, et cetera, et cetera. So you would practice a five-minute segment, shall we say, almost real time like that. And the first time we did this morning, we practiced that about eight times again and again and again. When we did the Today Show in America, we practiced that in the little dressing room, you know, probably, probably one floor down from Alec Baldwin. And we would just be practicing and practicing. And even today, so, you know, we are cooking on Steph's packed lunch, which is on Channel 4. We're doing that every fortnight, and we, we will always practice before we do our cook. Normally practice once or twice. So I think if you're doing an Instagram Live, if you're doing a Facebook or YouTube Live, or even some television, practicing, even if it's just you on your own, will help you get into the mindset build an almost subconscious memory of what you're doing, which will be super helpful when you're actually in the moment. So once you've got all that cracking on and you've got the uh, alcoholic flavor sort of just being released, then you pop in a bit of this. So you've got red bell peppers and you've got some celery in there. Whack them in the, in the dish. Obviously super nutritious, super colorful, and it just gives a nice little bite. 
We're going to stir that around. Just I've got to say, to this is a really big fear of mine. I yeah. do not do mushrooms. Yeah. It smells really good. Mate, you just and normally yeah, the smell of them. mushrooms yeah. makes yeah. me yeah. hate you. It, it's, so, it's actually just like a meat replacer in yeah. this. So they've got that meaty flavour, that meaty texture. I don't think you're going to notice. Yeah. We'll okay. see, we'll see. And talking about mushrooms, we are going to pop them in right now. So look right. away, rather. Are you ready? Yeah. Come in. Yeah. So here goes basically our mushroom mince. We pop it in now because it has a, a nice amount of time to take on all the flavour that's already in the pan. Yeah. Fold it all around, looking decent. And once that's all mixed in, we are going to go in with two <laughs> tins of regular chopped tomatoes, the cheap ones from the supermarket, fine. In my ear, I'm just having really deep breaths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> imagine it's okay. mint. Just imagine. Some people got a fear of flying, I've got yeah. a fear of mushrooms. Well, we're going wow. to revert that. We're going to sort it out. No and worries. then we've got our beans, so we've yeah. got some protein here. So we're going to make sure yeah. if you go to the gym, you get your protein. Oh, yeah, yeah always. I'm always in the gym. That always. There you thing, go. That's one thing we always get asked is where to get protein from. And yeah. quite frankly, it's things like this, beans. Now, I want to turn things to the creative process, which is obviously integral to everything you guys do. You've had many books that are very successful. You've got obviously a platform where you give a lot of free stuff out to the public and to your audience. What does the creative process look like for you from you know the idea of a recipe to shooting it or making something for a recipe book? Where, do, where does the inspiration come from and how do you sort of you know, begin that process? Uh, it all starts with brainstorming, really. We have these uh, little team brainstorms where we basically think, well, what would we like to eat? What has, hasn't been veganized yet? Um, what basically would resonate with the people that might end up cooking the dishes? Uh, so we have like these big brainstorming sessions where you have like a massive um, pool of recipes and they go into the recipe funnel and they kind of work their way down. Some just get thrown out because they're completely ridiculous or just wouldn't be very tasty. And then some of them, if they're lucky, get all the way down to being featured in a book or now actually the, the end of the funnel would be ending up on a supermarket shelf. Um, so yeah, we just sort of brainstorm all the time and uh, we work collaboratively, work collectively. That process has served us very well because we, I think we've written some pretty damn tasty recipes in our time. What's the wackiest recipe? Because in the beginning you were known for some pretty crazy things, but what's your favorite sort of wacky recipe that you, you've come up with? I think we need to bring back some of those crazy recipes, mm. <laughs> but the, the bonkers recipe ideas included things like a healthy sushi cake so where we created a cake out of sushi rice mm -hmm. kind of weird but it was delicious also the meze cake where we used falafel and hummus and griddle vegetables taboulet and kind of middle eastern flavors and built up again a savory cake we seem to make everything into either a cake or lasagna. Yeah, there was a layer, chocolate... layering. Because it was yes. when you cut through it and you see all those beautiful layers, that makes for great Instagram content. Exactly. exactly. Piles of food always looks amazing on camera. Yeah, man. One of the challenges, again, of a media platform is the opportunity for conversations or content. There is a plethora of social media channels now to choose from. Again, with a very small team, how do you decide where to focus? Because there's obviously so many opportunities to for growth with TikTok and Snapchat series and YouTube and YouTube shorts. And it's just an infinite number of places where you could publish your content. Some does well, some doesn't. Something that does well on Instagram won't do well on YouTube. How do you guys decide where to put your energy and also where you're going to be putting, putting your energy going forward? At the beginning, we said no to any channel that wasn't our core focus. So we were quite late to launch on YouTube and Instagram. We just focused on Facebook because that was where our speciality was. 
I actually think had we started YouTube and Instagram sooner, they would have grown to much bigger mm -hmm. sizes. So I think that you want to get the right balance between focus and breadth. You can't do everything for every channel. Absolutely not. What you'll see often is big YouTubers are big YouTubers and they don't, they don't do that well on Instagram or TikTok. It's quite rare to have someone who smashes it on all of them. Yeah. We tend to focus on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, but we are now turning our focus as you are, as everybody is to TikTok. But I don't think we're going to spread it too much further than that. You know, we want to be able to connect with our audiences where they are and we want to be able to bring them plant-based food where they are. But there is a limit to the number of channels that we can maintain. So Snapchat is not a priority for us. I don't think we're going to be big on like WhatsApp lists and things like that. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're good with just uh, our kind of email audience of like super dedicated fans. Our original audience is on Facebook and Instagram. The people who like to watch our longer form videos on YouTube. And also we're kind of working out this new world of TikTok mm -hmm. and, um, and excited to build more content on there too. Now turning uh, on to your books, obviously, you know, that you've been quite prolific with, with when it comes to sort of book production, you know, some people, you know, dream of having like one book. You guys have just like produced this incredible array of books. How, how have you managed to do that? Because obviously it's, it's quite an intense process and you obviously have a very small team. Do you guys just never sleep? <laughs> it's tough isn't it yeah i mean it, it's quite tough but it's also extremely enjoyable and we are not shy of the hard day's work um when we are in book writing mode there are long hours and it, it seems that every time we write a book it's always in the middle of summer and it's always swelteringly hot as we're cooking like 12 dishes to taste them but yeah, I think we're, we're, with the books, we are absolutely driven, as we said previously a couple of times, to put more plants on more plates. And every single book, we put 110% effort into it. And every single recipe is tested three, four, five times just to make sure it's completely bulletproof. And uh, I think our best work ends up in our books because out of all the content that we put out there, that's the only one that people actually pay for. So um, we, we make sure that it is worth every single penny. I thought you might ask about our books, so <laughs> I brought them along. And an interesting fact about these books, and this is the collection, is that each one was written to dispel a myth about vegan food. Not everybody knows this, but this first one, Boss, that was written to dispel the myth that vegan food was boring and didn't taste good. So five years ago when we wrote that, there weren't that many vegan recipes out there. I guess we kind of followed on with on that same trend with Bish Bash Bosch, but we delved a little bit more into like vegan meats and different ways that you might kind of advance your vegan cooking. But then people were always telling us about how unhealthy vegan food was. So that's why we made the Bosch Healthy Vegan book. We wanted to dispel that myth. People then always said that it was really slow. So that's why we wrote Speedy Bosch. And the new one, which we're super excited about, people are always saying vegan food is so expensive. And it isn't, it doesn't have to be. It can be if you buy all of the products, you know, the five pound cheeses or the burgers that cost three pounds each on the shelf, it can be expensive. But at its core, vegan food is not expensive. So that's why we wrote this one, which is the new one, Bosch on a Budget, which we're absolutely hyped about. Tell us a bit more about that one. How many recipes are in there? 
there's over a hundred in there, and uh, yeah, we kind of split it up nicely. So there's some marvelous desserts. Uh, there's the usual like starters. There's kind of like lunches and dinners. But we're, a new chapter that we've introduced into this, um, which is really good uh, for budget cooking, is batching. So there's a big chapter in there that for for batch cooking. So be that soups, or be that chilies, be that sauces. Yeah, I think to be honest with you, we wrote this during lockdown. Um, and because uh, we had basically nothing better to do, we focused all of our energies on this book. And I think that by far and away, that's the best book we've written. Bosh on a budget. Oh my goodness. And we are super excited to show the world that vegan food doesn't have to be expensive at all. We have cut the cost without losing any of the flavor. This book is absolutely packed with recipes that won't cost the earth or break the bank. Yeah, it's super pocket friendly. We've got luscious lunches, brilliant breakfast, delicious dinners, and minimal waste with really, really cost-effective ingredients. It's a fantastic way to cook. It is a very lockdown book, you know. In lockdown, we all started to think a bit more carefully about money. Everybody got the fear. Some people went on furlough. Hospitality took a nosedive. Travel took a nosedive. And all the people working in all these industries, um, you know, lots of them really struggled. So it's a perfect time to really focus on cutting costs to try and help people live and eat vegan food without having to spend loads and loads of money on vegan products. Great, great book. Can't wait to get my paws on it because uh, I'm always trying to save a bit of money <laughs> now that I bought my own house. I need to uh, yes, renovate exactly. half of it. So I'm going to be keeping those meal, meal costs low. Before I let you go, um, I always like to ask my guests this one final question. If you were both stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig, uh, obviously you're not going to eat the pig because you're <laughs> obviously both vegan. Um, if I could give you one vegan dish, one music album and one book, what would you take with you? Uh, you and you go first, Ian. Hmm. Vegan dish. I think a dish. I think I, I, with <laughs> the ultimate chili is delicious and it just sort of is the gift that keeps on giving because it's a complete set of protein and it's just absolutely wonderful and complex flavors so it's every every mouthful is different which is definitely what we're going to need on desert island book wise i think hmm, reading a book at the well, listening to a book at the moment it's tim ferris's tools of titans which is uh, which is actually really good and if you're on a desert island you could probably do with some tools by titans so that's good. Also, uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning is really, really profound and would also give you some nice, sort of like a, be a nice guiding light on a desert island. And when it comes to an album, uh, my initial thought was um, definitely maybe by Oasis, but actually I think it would probably be the London Philharmonic Orchestra's best hits because obviously <laughs> classical music is going to nice, nice way to calm you down on a desert island. Yeah. Nice. Thank you, Henry. Do you know what? If we're going to be on a desert island and I'm going to be listening to the same thing, I'd probably go for Max Richter's Sleep album. Nice choice. Which is eight hours long. It's designed scientifically to be played while you sleep and to kind of guide you through sleep. But it also gives you nice chilled out spa vibes. So I think if I play that, not only have I got eight hours, which is a lot, but I've also got a kind of spa vibes on the desert island. So that'll be cool. <laughs> I, as far as a dish is concerned, I'm going to be super boring and I'm going to say Huel. <laughs> <laughs> and they haven't paid us to say that, but you know, it's a, it's got everything you need oh, in it yeah. to survive. So yeah. I guess that'll yeah. be quite a good thing. Portable, to compact. It's, yeah. Right. And it's like a, a milkshake, which has got to be a good thing. And then finally, uh, the book, 
I think it would have to be a an instruction manual. I don't know the name of it, but it would be called How to Survive on a Desert Island <laughs> and Not Go Mad. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who wrote that book, <laughs> and if they didn't write they it, do. they should. Yeah, yeah The exactly. Dummy's Guide to Survival. And then I'd hang out with the pig, and it would be fun. Yeah, it would be great. Mr. Ian Theosby, Mr. Henry Frith, thank you so much for joining me on the PBN podcast. What a pleasure, my friends, to hear a bit of your story and uh, go on that little journey. Robbie, it's been an absolute pleasure. We're so pleased to see everything that you and Klaus are doing at Plant-Based News. Keep on fighting the good fight and thanks for having us. Yeah, man, it's been a lot of good fun. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie. This is the PBN podcast. We'll be back next week with more food, fashion, veganism, animals and everything in between.